All right, well, good morning. If uh, this is your first time hanging with us today, I want to say hello to you. Uh, my name's Rob, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here on staff. If you're at home online, we're glad to have you as well. But today's a little bit of a different Sunday. So if it's your first Sunday, you picked a great Sunday to do it, to be here. It's, we're changing things up a little bit, and I'm going to explain that in just a minute. But to get us started, here's a question I'd like us to think about for just a minute. When's the last time that you heard a story of someone so changed in their life that it inspired you. Like when you thought about their story of transformation, like it was an emotional movement. There was a call to action, like something in your life said, I want to change because of the change that this person had experienced. See, the thing about life change is that life change is contagious. Life change has the ability to transform entire communities. In fact, years ago, a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church of Corinth, and he talked about that in Christ, we become new creations, that when we transfer our trust to Jesus, we begin to be transformed from the inside out. But what's amazing is the same guy that said that, the same guy that penned those words, once thought that Christians were better off dead than alive. And then he met Jesus. And his transformation in Christ not only transformed communities, but pioneered a movement that we've all experienced over the past thousands of years that we call the local church. And so my hope and my prayer is that someday, as we engage in our lobby on a Sunday morning, that it would be full of stories of life change. That as we forgive one another, encourage one another, carry the burdens of one another, teach one another, serve one another, that there would just be this outpouring of changed lives that we get to tell a story each and every single week. But to get there, we need to move beyond rows and into circles. Like life change can happen in rows, but it often happens in circles in the context of community. And so this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. I've invited Kristen Fry uh, to join us this morning. Kristen serves as an executive consultant for the Vanderblomen search firm. Um, I've got to work with her for the past year and a half, um, and it's because of her uh, service and leadership that we were able to welcome Trey Sweat uh, as the executive pastor of ministries, the executive director of operations, Jonathan Lee, and then recently she's oversaw the search that brought us Austin Mosen, our new worship arts director. Yeah, we can clap for that. But in addition to that role, she served on church staffs at North, North Point Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia, Cross uh, Point Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, she has her Master's of Theology from Talbot School of Theology. She's a doctrinal candidate at Dallas Theological Seminary. But my favorite fun fact about Kristen is that her love language is burgers and fries. And so Eastern Hills, if you could uh, give her a warm welcome this morning, let's do that now. Thank you. I forgot to say this earlier. Um, someone asked me where I was from, and I do live in Atlanta, but my love for burgers and fries comes from California, which is where I am from, because we have In-N-Out. So that is where, for any In-N-Out lovers, I feel that deeply. And the other thing that I love a lot, which is where we're going today, is I actually really love data. And I love research and I love statistics. I think it's the most fascinating bits of information that we have out there. And the reason is because it just tells a story. 
When you put it all together, there's just really interesting stories that can be told with it. For example, report cards is one piece of um, information that we get when we either were in school or our children, you know, bring home report cards of A, B, C, D, E, or not E, but F. And it's, you know, and it tells a story about how someone's doing. It says, are they learning? Are they not learning? Are they going to class? Maybe that's why that specific data has showed up on that report card. Maybe they can't see the board and they need glasses. It's just information that tells a story about about their education in school. And the other thing um, that we see data show up a lot is fantasy football. I said this earlier as well. People are always surprised that I play fantasy football, but I do, and I enjoy it. But it's data. We use data to draft, to drop, to trade players. We use data to look at someone's previous performance to predict future success or not success. It's just all data. But the data that I love the most that I think is so interesting is data as it relates to human behaviors and data how it relates to what we're thinking about how we connect with each other, what we're thinking about our faith, data around our perception of God, data around how all of that intersects. I just think it's very interesting. And I was reading an article recently and it talked about how with the rise of technology, a lot of our social skills are diminishing, which I don't know that I need to read an article to know that. You can just walk around and see that for yourselves. But what's coming out is that one in two millennials walk around now with their phone in their hand. I mean, not just on them, but actually in their hand. And they experience extreme anxiety if their phone isn't actually on them. And if you take generations across the board, we are checking our phones, like going to our phone, actively looking at our phones and doing something on our phones 80 to 100 times a day. I mean, that's very incredible that we are going to our phone for that much points of connection. I mean, I do it. Our email and text messaging and phone and social media and whatever else is on there and pulling up your drive on your phone. I mean, it's just all there. So we put so much weight into this. But what's fascinating is that that some of the major corporations right now, as kids are graduating from college and entering into the workforce, they've realized that there's just some lacking in social awareness. So as part of the onboarding process, they have now instituted classes that actually teach people how to make eye contact and conversation and how to read social cues when you're in a room. I mean, I mean, very significant organizations. That is now part of the new employee onboarding process. So that just tells us so, so many stories right there, but some pointed information that I wanna look at that's gonna seem like it might not connect at first, but it does, I promise. So here's something interesting. So Facebook, one of the original social platforms, has over 3.03 billion users, not million, billion users. And I also saw that over 2 billion of those users, 2 billion will log on every single day and look at it. So that right there gives us a lot of information about where people are going to points of connection. And yet, one out of three Americans report feeling lonely regularly. One third of this room, if we were to poll this room, would say, yep, on a regular basis, I actually do feel lonely. The number of people who are reporting having no friends has quadrupled in the past 30 years. Not just, oh yeah, I only have a couple friends, zero. 
the number of people who report zero friends has quadrupled in the past 30 years. And now we kind of bring it into this space. 46% of all Christians consider their faith to be private, which that's interesting. And if you take just the boomers, remove all the other generations, 63% of them consider their faith to be private. And yet, four out of five Christians believe that friends should challenge you and help you grow. Four out of five Christians believe that friends should challenge you and help you grow. I look at this data and it almost doesn't even make sense. Like, it almost doesn't even feel like it connects. It's like, here's some stuff about faith and social media. But what it's telling us that what we're thinking and what we're believing and how we're acting, there's this massive disconnect. None of it is really adding up. We have over 3 billion people who are going to a social platform to look for connection, and yet, they, the, and yet they're saying they're lonely. So clearly, that's not the, the, the answer. And then the majority of the people believe that friends should actually help you grow, and yet half of the Christians think our faith should be private. So there's just this massive disconnect in how we're living our life, and it's causing us to now move towards all the wrong places for connection. It's no secret that God wired us to connect with each other. Like, that's just human nature. That's, we're made to move toward one another in relationship. When relationships are missing, we feel that. I don't need data to tell me that. We all know that. We're social beings. And the other thing that's interesting and that we could all agree at is that there are times when life just feels kind of complicated. There are times when life just feels like, I just don't know that I know how to figure this out right now. There's a lot of moving pieces. There are times when life feels really hard. There are times when we're walking through life and some really hard thing has happened and we don't know how to sort our way through that. There are times when life just feels really messy and or there are times when we feel like we are waving the white flag of surrender and we just are desperate for someone to step into our story and to help us. We are desperate for God to intervene into our lives and help us. Like we all understand what that feels like. We, you know, we live on planet Earth so we know what that's like. So if all of those things are true about how we kind of walk through life sometimes, then why, and we're wired to connect with people, then why aren't we walking toward relationship? Why are we moving toward technology instead? How come we're not walking toward other people? I think there's a few things that will prevent us from walking toward people in relationship. It's the four big ones that I wanna look at, which we might kind of be able to relate to some of these on some level, but what prevents us from community and moving toward people when life is really hard? I think number one, past pain. We might say, gosh, I had this really hard thing happen before and I went to someone for help once and they dismissed me and that felt very painful and I don't actually need to ever experience that again and so I'm just gonna stay here by myself. I think that prevents us sometimes from walking toward community. Secondly, I think we're living in survival mode. Some of us, we're just trying to survive. I mean, the thought of trying to engage with another human when we're trying to just survive in our life, that, that alone is enough. And so that can sometimes prevent us from taking the initiative and walking towards someone. I think sometimes shame. We maybe feel embarrassed about some of the thoughts that we're thinking or, you know, we've told ourselves some version of certainly no other Christian ever thinks this about themselves or about God. If I say this, I'll be judged, I won't be accepted. So 
we'll convince ourselves that we can't actually be honest with someone. And I think the last is discomfort. If we're just not used to being honest to people, sometimes it feels really uncomfortable to then be honest with someone. And the only reason it's uncomfortable is because it's new, not because there's anything wrong or anything bad with it, but it's just it's unfamiliar. And so, but we'll let that sort of unfamiliarity and that discomfort keep us from taking a step towards someone. And the, one of the things that I hate about all of those four things, they all have one thing in common. When you look at all four of those things as sort of excuses that we tell ourselves to not walk toward community, the one thing that they all have in common is they all keep you in isolation. Every single one of those things will keep you in isolation by yourself. And if you hear nothing else this morning, I want you to hear why isolation is so very terrible because isolation is the enemy's weapon against us isolation is what sent was what satan uses against us but the thing is is that community is one of our weapons against the enemy if we can get in community which is so very powerful that is our weapon against satan and against the lies that are kind of swirling around in our head when we're off on an island by ourselves. And so I wanna unpack this a little bit and tell you why this is so important and why God designed us to live in community and why it's such an important part of our lives. Because whether you're an extrovert or you're an introvert, you know, you, you, all, you all know what it means to, to be in relationship with each other. And you know what that's like when the people are missing from your life. We, cannot, we all understand what that feels like. There is an author in the New Testament, and he wrote a letter to a group of people called the Hebrews. You've all, I'm sure, read the book of Hebrews. And the Hebrews were a group of Jewish people who, they used to live according to the law. So what that meant was they used to live according to right and wrong. There's a list of do's and don'ts, a good and bad, and that was sort of how they knew how to live. And Jesus steps into the scene and he introduces to them a new way of living. He inter introduces this new way of freedom and how you live in freedom and what it looks like to live in freedom with each other and what does that look like now to live in relationship with each other and community with each other. But they were, this was all really new to them and so they were sorting this out in the midst of a lot of religious leaders of the time sort of telling them that no, 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 you should live this way instead. And there's a lot of opinions floating around in the world that were sort of causing them to try to figure out, do I go towards Jesus, but the world says this, or it's easier to go back to my old way of living. So that's just the context that they were living in, which honestly is not all that different from us in 2023. We know exactly what that's like to live in a world where everyone around us has an opinion and everyone around us thinks that they know what we should do and have the right. So that's just living in this day and age. So we understand the context that they were living in when these two verses were penned. And they're very familiar verses. Don't let the familiarity kind of distract you. Okay, so in Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 25, it says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. 
And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near Jesus. But verse 25, let us not neglect our meeting together. And there's a reason why he said that because he said, hey, I get that as you're trying to figure out life and as you're trying to figure out this new way of doing life, if you pull yourself out of community, what's gonna happen is that all these competing voices are actually going to suck you in. But if you stay in community and if you stay meeting with someone, what you can do is talk about all the things you're thinking and feeling and you're allowing people to reflect back what is actually true. You're allowing people to say, no, 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 no. Okay, I know that sounds like that's the right way to do life, but hey, here's what truth actually is. You're allowing people to step into your story and help you navigate life. But if you neglect meeting together and sort of live on this island, it gets very hard to discern sometimes what is actually true and what is actually in your head. Because other things that are true about every single one of us in this room is this. You have been created on purpose. Your life is not a mistake, an accident, or a joke. That is true about every single person in this room. There's a purpose and a plan for your life. That plan for your life is not just good, it is great. That is very true about your life and about my life. There is nothing on this planet that you cannot do without Jesus in your life. Like, because you are here, that means there is a purpose for you that only you can do. No one has your DNA. No one has your life history. No one has your personality, which means there is a work for you to do. But what happens is that when we get ourselves out of community, what are the very first things that start to go? All of the things that are true about you. All of the things that God says are true about you are the very first things that start to leave your brain when you get yourself into isolation. Because we have very powerful brains. And I don't know about you, but the story that I tell myself is very crazy sometimes. It's like, if, as soon as I say that out loud, it's like it loses its power because then I can hear myself saying it, number one, now I know it sounds crazy, and now someone else can hear it. And they're now telling me it sounds crazy. So that is why it is so incredibly important to not pull yourself out of community. God designed us to live in relationship where we are growing alongside one another. We can encourage one another and speak life into one another. And here's the thing, when we are alone, it's not that we are then believing nothing, it's then we start believing anything. That is why it is such a trick of the enemy to get us to be alone. Because we're not just sitting there in our cars by ourselves or on our couches by our, when no one else is home, sitting here believing nothing. No, we're believing everything. And there's a reason why this is so, so, so important to me and why I will never live without community. And I hope that you don't either. But some of the most recent years, I'm not even talking about COVID, like that's something different. But some of the most recent years were some very, very challenging years in my life. And I don't say that to say, oh, woe is me. I don't think that. But I think that a lot of us can relate to some of these things that happened. There was this time period where someone very, very close to me 
um, a very dear friend just betrayed me in a way that I thought, how can one human even do that to, to someone else? I don't even understand. It just it kind of spun me around. And then I went through a very just significant ending of a relationship that broke me in ways that I did not know a human could be broken. I mean, whether that's ending of a dating relationship or ending of a divorce, that alone we understand the pain that that brings. And so that was going on. And then I was in a career where there was just this really significant moral failure by the person at the top that jeopardized my career and then lost my job. And so then it's like, what am I gonna do with my, I don't even understand. And then I was, there was this kind of period where this group of people who I had trusted, they started to question my values and my integrity. Someone publicly attacked my character, which I'm sure some of you know what that feels like, where it's one thing to do to my face, it's another thing to do in a public platform and you can't even defend yourself. And so all of this just seemed like it was going on and on and on and it was never ending. And I remember being on the phone with a friend during all of that, and I was like, I, like I, I genuinely feel like my life is being offered on this altar of sacrifice, and I don't understand what God is doing, and I really don't want to be in this position anymore. I just don't understand. And during that time, I um, was going up and I was speaking at this church, kind of sort of in the middle of all that, which... Side note, people who stand on these stages, we all have normal lives and hard things that happen. So trust me, we're not exempt from having to walk through any of this stuff. And there's always stories that are going on in all of our lives. But it was sort of during this time. And so I was speaking at this church and some friends, really good friends of mine had come to just be a presence with me during all of that. And I remember walking off stage and we got into conversation about just private, you know, personal things, our personal lives. And then I started, you know, unfolding my life and I was very sad about it. And a friend of mine, she looked at me and she goes, Kristen, you're gonna be fine. And I'm like, I'm like, what? And she said, you're gonna be, you're gonna be fine. God, God's gonna take care of this. And I just remember thinking and I looked at her and I said, I don't know. I said, I honestly, I don't know if I can even believe that anymore. And without skipping a beat, she looked at me and she's probably this close to my face and she goes, that's okay, you don't have to because I'm gonna believe it for you until you can believe for yourself. And it was one of the most power, and I've repeated this, she knows, I've repeated this probably 700 times because it was so powerful to me. And during that season, I just, I remember calling friends and calling people and saying, hey, can you pray for me? Like, I, I can't even think straight. Like, I just need you to pray for me, or I just need you to listen to me. I sat in rooms, I sat on couches with people and said the good, the bad, and the ugly. I had people show up for me over and over and over and over again, and they stood in the gap, and they believed until I could believe again. And they let me say really honest things. They let me talk about dreams that were dashed and hopes that felt like they had gone up in smoke, and they let me say all the ways that I was questioning myself and questioning God, and just let me talk, and they were safe for me, and they would reflect back what truth was, but they kept showing up for me. And I think it's really interesting because we tell ourselves this story that we sometimes can't be honest because, you know, what, what, what is that gonna do? But I'm telling you what, that's just called being human. Like, 
being honest with people about what you're actually afraid of or what's actually hurting, even if you are afraid of what God is doing in your life, even if you're afraid of how God is moving in your life, just to even be honest and to have safe people who you can say that to, that is what they did for me. And that is the reason why community is so, so important to me because if I wasn't honest with them, what I'd be doing, I would be robbing them of the opportunity to do what community is supposed to do. If you are not honest with the people in your life, you're robbing them of the opportunity to stand in the gaps for you. And sometimes that's what we need. We need places in our lives where we can do that for one another and take steps toward one another because isolation is such a breeding ground for negative thinking and self-doubt. All sorts of crazy happens when we get alone in our heads and we need those places where we can be honest with each other. We were not created to do life alone. We just weren't. There is so much power in allowing people to step into your story and you stepping into someone else's story. But here's the thing, you actually have to want it. It won't just happen by itself and all these magical friends are not gonna show up on your doorstep just because you've thought it. You actually have to put in work and you actually have to decide that this is worth it. And it's not gonna happen overnight. It's not gonna happen, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes I hear people say, oh, I tried it this one time. I'm like, tried what? You don't try people one time. Like, nothing in life works like that. Like, it takes time and it takes transparency and what feels uncomfortable at first eventually feels comfortable and what feels unfamiliar eventually feels familiar and it's not new anymore and then it's a safe space. But you have to be willing to take a step towards that and invite those people into your life. Because life can be hard and life can be lonely, but life can be less hard with people and life can be less lonely with people. I mean, imagine what that would look like if every person in this room and every person outside of this room had safe people in their lives where they could be honest. Imagine how that would change your life. That would be spectacular, but you have to want it. And so I'm telling you, you will never regret developing the kind of relationships with people who want to roll up their sleeves and to step into your story and to do life with you and to help you follow Jesus and for you guys to do that together. You will never regret making that decision. And I don't know where you're at today and if you're like, yeah, I have that, or if you're like, eh, maybe. Wherever you are, I just hope that you take one step towards the right. So it might not be, okay, I'm, I have no friends, I'm gonna, now I'm gonna go towards community. That might not be where you're at, that's okay. But maybe the step for you is to consider it. And that's perfect, that's great. So whatever that looks like for you, I hope you do it. And I would love to pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for how you have wired us. Thank you so much that you have created us to not do life alone. And so for us in this room, I pray that you would show us what that looks like. I pray that you would be very present in each of our stories and that um, you would allow us to take steps toward one another in ways that are healthy and good and grow and speak life into each other. And God, you know the stories that we've walked in with today. And so God, I pray that you would uh, meet us wherever we're at. And I'm so grateful 
that you have wired us the way you have wired us and provided people to do life with. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Can we say thanks to Kristen? So thank you. Uh, I said this first service to you, but I just, it, it's hard to get up and to be vulnerable and to share personal things. And so I, I appreciate you sharing some of your story and, and I know it probably connected with some people here this morning as well. But you, you have a gift. You get to come alongside churches across the country and, and Kristen doesn't just serve churches like our church. Uh, she gets to serve churches of different denominations and different sizes and some that um, are, are different parts of the country. And so one of the questions I have is that as you get to see what's happening in the church as a whole is uh, the shift that has taken place post-COVID. And so we mm -hmm. talked a lot about community and everything that I continue to read is that people are struggling to mm -hmm. uh, engage. And so what does engagement look like now coming out of a season where people were disconnected? I think, I know that's such a good question. I think what engagement, based on some of the things that I am seeing right now, is that it looks very different than we thought it did in the past. You know, in the past, we sort of thought that engagement and community looked like these very specific types of small groups or whatever. But the reality is, is that um, people are looking for engagement in some ways sort of right where they're at as well. So I think engagement could look like connecting and being intentional with your neighbors. So we're just seeing a lot of creativity and how people are engaging. But the truth is that, and I would bet that people in this room probably think this too, coming on this side of COVID, we're really choosy with how we spend our time. We want to feel like that we are adding value to something and that it's, you know, value is being given back to us. And so that's changing how we view. And we're so used to being alone all the time that sometimes we tell ourselves that there isn't a value add in being with community, which is false. That's negative. So I, there's a, I, I do think that there's, there's a needing to be a little reorienting of how we are approaching what value is also. I think that's true. And last week, if you were here, you got to hear from Pastor Trey who did a good job. And we were looking at Romans and what worship is and what worship isn't. And we talked about worship as service. And one of the things that's true about value added is that people need to respond and say, hey, this is something that I get to do or I'm excited about being a part of. And so we just wanna take a moment to say thanks to the 54 people that took a step next week and decided to engage and join a team. So can we celebrate that this morning? <laughs> Now, we're 50 plus years young as a church. And so sometimes when we talk about engagement in groups and classes and what is discipleship and all of these things, um, I, I hear that, well, we've tried it all. We've tried this model, we've tried this approach and we've done you know, this, this philosophy. So what's the secret sauce? Like what, what, what works uh, when it comes to getting people into what you just talked about, community? So I, this is a very unpopular answer. So I think what works is that you actually have to be creative and you have to have a little bit of flexibility. So what, meaning what works for one person doesn't mean that's gonna work for you. But the dominant theme though, over all of that is that whatever you choose, it has to be predictable 
and it has to be um, intentional. So you can't go, hey, maybe I'll, I'll try to be connected and we'll meet at a coffee shop every other Thursday or on Thursday or a Tuesday. So that doesn't work. Number one, it's very loud in coffee shops, by the way. And then number two, if people are going, wait, is it Thursday, is it Tuesday, is it second, what, like, what, which coffee shop? So you just have to have a lot of flexibility and, and flexibility and creativity, but whatever you choose, you have to go all in and be intentional and commit, and, uh, and it has to be predictable. So I would say those are the things that I, across the board, that has not changed. Thank you. And so with that, and I wonder how much of that transfers into work with the next generation. So you, you get to work with a group called Barna, um, who's all about data, and they help us understand what God's doing in the church across the, across the country. But one of the things that I know you're passionate about and that our church is passionate about is coming alongside the next generation of followers of Jesus. And so when we think about Gen Z and we think about creating the type of churches that they love to attend so they can find and follow Jesus. What are some of the things that you're seeing? So a lot of the, again, goes back to the data. So all the data that's coming out and some of the projects that I've gotten to work on with as it relates to Gen Z is that Gen Z is very, this is not a surprise, very skeptical of the church, very skeptical of people who call themselves Christians, very skeptical of who God is. And what you're seeing right now is this shift in the leadership in those spaces. And what this project was, was to help the leadership think differently about how to engage the generation. Because historically as leaders, you know, regardless of whatever environment, we sort of decide, oh, you must be thinking blah, blah, blah. So then we'll do this. But what's happening is, is we're spinning that on its head and saying, actually, let's create environments where we find out what, what, are, what is Gen Z thinking? What are they feeling? Where are they concerned? What are the biggest things on their mind? So that they're telling us, I mean, novel concept, so that they're telling us where they're at. And so then we can decide, okay, how can we help you and engage with you based on where you actually are, not as opposed to where we have now just decided that you are. And so that's a pretty significant shift. I can only speak from the, in the church spaces, but that's a really significant shift in the church spaces in terms of engaging with some of the younger generations, being really intentional about letting them say where they are. Thank you. I mean, we've talked about that past couple of weeks, the importance of asking questions and being learners and seeking to understand. So you know, in, in the leadership space, sometimes we just hear a lot of the hard. And I think it's uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle talks about that every problem ultimately is an opportunity. And he says that as leaders, as followers of Jesus, we're like chief problem solvers. And so maybe you could, in this last question here, just share like what an encouragement, like a positive thing, like, yes, you know, Jesus is still the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Yes, people are still coming to know Jesus. Like, there is good. Like, we worship a God that is amazing. So, what, like, just share, like, a word of encouragement that you are seeing in the positive across churches. Yes, 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 for sure. So, here's what's true. For those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, and, and we, you know, understand what that means to be a Christian, when we walk out of this, this building on Sundays, and we're doing daily life, for a lot of the people that we interact with, we might be the only Bible that they will ever read. 
And we have an incredible opportunity to love people well and to listen well and to engage with people well, regardless of where they're at and regardless of the programs and, and those, the life change stories that I hear because of that, because someone who decided, no, I understand that my neighbor might never step foot in a church, great, that's fine, but I can, so now I'm gonna live what, what the gospel is with them and I'm gonna take a step toward them. And I hear those stories all over the place and it is incredible. So that's what I would say, um, just as a reminder, that we might be the only Bible that someone's ever gonna read and what a wonderful opportunity for us to love people well, just exactly where we're at. It's really encouraging. Can we say thanks to Kristen one more time this morning? <laughs>